Good morning, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Out of Reef Comes Art. And I am here, Elizabeth Copeland, and I'm here today with my co-host, Hallie Williams. And together we have a very special episode, but before we get into that, I'm going to ask Hallie to tell us who's sponsoring us today. Oh, thanks, Elizabeth. Today, this project and podcast has been made possible in part by funding from Humanities Washington and the National Endowment for the Humanities. Humanities Washington opens minds and bridges, divides by creating spaces to explore different perspectives. Thanks for believing in our project and supporting us today. Yes, thank you, Humanities Washington. Oh, am I getting a feedback or just me? It's bad. Okay, you know what? Um, all you listeners out there, I am going to turn over the whole program to Hallie. <laughs> okay. So Hallie, take it away. All right, I'm here, and Elizabeth is still here, guys. This is one of the first weeks that we are doing video recording now because we got some feedback from you that you guys love seeing our faces, and um, it's kind of fun to see what the guests look like and all that stuff. So um, now we've got a lot of different streaming things happening at once, so thanks for your patience. But today we have Rana oddish right yeah well done okay good i just wanted to make sure um i am so terrible at reading names i know i'm not the only person in the world hi rana how are you hi very well thank you hallie so i am so excited to have rana here with us today guys because she to elizabeth and i she's a really big deal um she is very successful in the medicine world also has dealt with quite a bit of grief and then is kind of the epitome of out of grief comes art because she paints like what i don't know i think it's cool <laughs> how cool is it to like talk to your doctor and then you know you're just talking and then she's like i was painting the other day and you're like wait what so um thanks for being here again um i want to read a little bio of who you are and what you do and why you arrived at painting but then really i want you to explain to our listeners your own grief story and how you got there so um just in brief guys Rana is a pulmonary and critical care physician in Detroit, Michigan. She began painting when she was incapacitated after a near fatal illness that left her bed bound for months. She has no formal art training and rather just enjoys the process of discovery and of being a novice, which she is not as able to be in other aspects of her life. Thank goodness for that. But um, her <laughs> art is often an attempt to understand her feelings prior to writing. She is the author of the critically acclaimed memoir, In Shock, My Journey from Death to Recovery and Redemptive Power of Hope, which chronicled her own critical illness. She has published numerous essays, like a ton, and, op and opinion pieces, which have begun on the canvas. She draws inspiration from the traditions of folk art, lowbrow art, and modern figurative painting. She's also a totally sought-after public speaker, which is why it's such a big deal that she's here, because we were able to snag a spot. We were like, yes, oh my gosh! And she often integrates art into her lectures, drawing off of traditional of visual thinking strategies and narrative medicine to engage her audience. She fully believes in the ability of art to heal, which we do too. So, <laughs> Rana, after all of that, let's start from the beginning. How do you know Elizabeth? Ah, a wonderful clinical ethicist at Henry Ford Hospital, her name's Karen Smith, okay. gifted me Elizabeth's book, The Grief Dialogues. And I didn't know that. 
it immediately resonated with me and we had Elizabeth in to visit to talk about how we could work together. And of course that was right before the pandemic. And so all of our best laid plans imploded, uh, but I was really drawn to the work. Oh yeah. Elizabeth does have that effect on people. Um, <laughs> I actually didn't know that somebody had gifted you the book. I, I didn't know that part of the story. I just, True. I mean, Elizabeth was just like, yeah, we've worked together before in the past. And, you know, we have similar vision on yeah. this. And I was like, oh, great. That's perfect. Yeah. Okay. That's amazing. I'm so happy to hear that our book is, is impactful. So could you share a little bit about your grief story and your illness and kind of how that got yeah. you to the painting world? Yeah, I'm happy to. I, as you mentioned, I'm a critical care physician and that training was long and arduous. And so when I got to the end of it, you know, I really felt like I had accomplished something, but ironically, um, right on the last day of my critical care fellowship was when I got critically ill myself and I was seven months pregnant at the time and just had this really unexpected, unanticipated, uh, very dramatic critical illness. I had a tumor that I didn't know I had in my liver and the hormones of pregnancy caused it to burst. And it was a tumor that was made up of arteries. So when it burst, I really lost all of my blood volume into my abdomen very quickly and I went into shock. And that, of course, ended the pregnancy. It caused multi-system organ failure for me. It was a very rough um, few months where I was really very, very critically ill in my own ICU. And that recovery, that sort of restoration of my identity was made harder by the fact that I was just so physically debilitated. So at the end of that first hospitalization, you know, I, I was discharged in a condition that I didn't really recognize myself. I was dependent on oxygen. I was in a wheelchair. I had really slow thoughts because of how little blood flow had gone to my brain during that period. And, you know, I couldn't really see clearly because I had had a stroke. My balance was terrible also because of that. And I didn't recognize myself. And it was sort of this place that I had to build back from And because so little was accessible to me, you know, even when I came home, I really only had the sort of three foot space around myself. I couldn't see well enough to watch TV. I couldn't really see well enough to read, but I was so used to taking in and creating content of some sort that I knew I needed something. something. So I literally bought paintbrushes and oil paints. And that was something I'm sure I had some memory of, like reading about Frida Kahlo painting while incapacitated. I'm sure that was buried somewhere in my subconscious, but it just became, I can do something in this very small space. And this is how I'm going to interact with my world right now. Wow. And I mean, mm, what a healthy mindset, even though you were in such a, a dark and kind of foreign place. 
I, I really commend you for that because I think when your world gets turned upside down, right? It's really, I mean, we think about when just simply having a baby and the result of that can be postpartum depression, like just, you know, something traumatic happens to your body and we tend to go into, we can go into dark spaces. And it's just incredible that you were resourceful enough to say, I don't really want to go there. Let's find something. So was painting, is there a reason you went to paint? Like, did, did you like to paint as a kid? Is that is that where we went? Or, you know, do you have a connection to paint? Prior? I, you know, I grew up in a, in a house that definitely encouraged creativity. My mom had studied fine arts. We always had art supplies around. Yeah. Um, but I also chose to be a doctor when I was, like, five. So it was... Uh, pretty single-minded focus I had on that goal and I didn't really allow a lot of the more creative elements to stay a part of my life until I found myself with some time on my hands and Hmm, I think there was a an awareness that it was useful that it would be useful to me because I didn't have words for how I was feeling I sort of joke that I think in colors but I found that it was easier for me to represent what I was feeling with imagery than with words. And I, I don't know why that is. It might've been because of the stroke and, and the neurological changes that happened from the shock, but I had images for things and not words. And so that became kind of a stopping point on my way to writing. I totally get that because I'm very visual. I, I've noticed as, as I'm growing up more and doing more things, I'm like, I just need to, like, I'm not absorbing this information unless I see it, you know? And yeah. So I don't, I don't know if that's, it could have, it could have been from your, from the stroke or something, but I also don't think it's that uncommon either. Yeah. So you mentioned Frida Kahlo, right? And you were like, I know that that must have been somewhere, but is she someone who inspires you or do you have any artists that inspire your work? You know, I'm so inspired by anyone who creates their, I met a brilliant photographer last night who does images of this city. I found that fascinating. Um, He photographs Detroit with drones from above and his art is just stunning. I I love figurative art. So of course, Frida Kahlo is is really, important to me in a lot of ways she also lost a pregnancy at henry ford hospital where i work oh my god she um, she her healing i think uh through art is a a tremendous inspiration you guys rana's art and her website is called get ready for this because it's the coolest thing much more muchier um i think it is such First of all, such a catchy name. I'm a marketing person, so I love play on words. And I was like, oh, this is so cool. But when you see her art, I mean, it's incredible. And of course, her website will be linked in all of our bios and social media, all the spots. But um, also, if you just type her into Google, you'll, she'll pop right up. Um, she has these incredible, is, is it oil painting? <laughs> yeah, oil painting. She has incredible oil paintings. And they are, first of all, really cool cool names like transplanted heartbeat um and it's a girl holding a um a heart but beat is spelled as in beat like the is a beat of fruit 
or I guess it's a vegetable. Vegetable. It's a vegetable. Yeah. It's not a tomato, right? And um, so it's kind of a play on words, but it's this, these beautiful and just very raw pictures um, showing emotion. I mean, I get emotions from them. Is that your goal when, when you're painting is to convey an emotion? Yeah, it is. It's, you know, for a while, my whole office was filled with my paintings. And it when I looked at them, I realized that these were all feelings that I had experienced that felt very big at the time oh, yeah. that I transferred oh, yeah. onto the canvas and that I moved through. And it was it was so healing to see because, you know, when you have big feelings, sometimes it feels like they'll just last forever Seriously. or they'll it's like the end of the swallow world. you. Yeah. Yeah. But then they pass. And yeah. so they're sort of like friends, they're memories. And they definitely, when I look at them, I know what I was feeling at the time. And so I'm glad to hear that comes across. Yeah, it really does. Um, there's a few that I'm particularly just really drawn to. I just lost my father in February, um, very suddenly. It, it was one of those unexpected, expected things. Like, we knew he was sick for a long time, and then all of a sudden, the doctor called and was like, this is it. And you're like, what? Wait, what? You know? Um, and so I'm very thick and freshly out the gate with my grief. And I look at your paintings, and there's a few where I'm like, oh, that's me. Like, that's exactly how I feel. You know, like, um, last night I was so angry. I don't know why. I just yeah. was so angry. Yeah. And my husband kind of was looking at me. He's like, good? And I was like, no, I'm just... I just and it's, you're right. Angry. That feeling is so overwhelming in the moment. You're like, this is the end of the world, you know? And yeah. then it does pass. So thinking about that timeline, end of the world to passing, when do you paint? Like, when you start to get emotional, is that when you grab the paintbrush? Or... Do you wait till you calm down, you know? <laughs> you know, I I am a victim of my own schedule. So I paint when I have time to paint. But I often feel something bubbling up within me that I'm wrestling with, you know, on a subconscious level. Something that is hard that I don't have words for. And I notice it beginning to impact how I'm behaving in the world how I'm interacting with people and yeah. so I give myself space to to think usually for about a week before I go in front of the the canvas okay. and usually by the time I'm in front of it I have a sense of how I can represent what I feel whether it's together. through symbolism or color or something's coalescing but it really it it comes from the canvas as much as it comes from me. I don't always know. I mean, it's a joke in our family. Like people come into my art room and they're like, is it going to have a deer? Like, what's the weird thing you're going to put in it? And I'm like, I don't know yet. It hasn't told me. Like, it'll tell me what it needs and it'll tell me when it's done. And they're like, okay, because it's cute now. But if you add a deer, it's going to be weird. Okay, but wait, stop. That is such a great, I don't know, parallel to grief, right? Mm -hmm. Like, okay, so I don't want to say that, like, there's cutesy grief, and I hope all my listeners uh -huh. know me well enough to know I don't mean it like that. I There is, like, this surface-level grief that happens mm -hmm. where you're going through something, and everyone's like, it's okay to cry. 
it's okay yeah. it's okay what you tell me what you need and they're being sincere and that's not the cutesy part the cutesy part is that you're nodding along and you're like i'm okay i'm okay and like that to me is the cutesy part and then there's this ugly side of grief that is just like kind of like in your paintings that's the unexpected raw weird thing that like triggers you like oh my gosh like my son totally pissed me off the other night and went and put something away and I spoke to him kind of like how my dad would have spoke to me and then yeah totally triggered me and spiraled me and so then you know and I'm upstairs crying in the bathroom and my husband's like what is going on and I'm like I don't know right like that's the ugly side that we don't talk about so I think in your paintings you just capture it perfectly like it is you know it's beautiful and then there's just that weird yeah no so and you have to give it form if you give it form it it takes away some of its power totally totally does so i guess my favorite piece that you've done just when i was browsing through that i'm like i need that one on my wall is heartbeat and Ah. in heartbeat um and that's what i feel like right now in my life is really just next you wrote a little description and i just want to read it for our listeners it says heartbeat a reminder that a grief-stricken heart is also a heart that is growing in new and sometimes surprising ways Mm. so yeah and that you know that piece i painted it in in a sad place but not really knowing what my intention was and my son looked at it and he loves to give me his interpretation he's young how old is he and he said you know it it looks like that lady buried something and didn't know something beautiful would grow from it like wow he had his whole own interaction with it that helped me to see what i had painted and i think that's such an interesting thing that happens when you create art is you have what you think you made And then you get to be in conversation with people who really tell you, this is what I see. And then you can see your own grief differently through their lens. Wow, that's so powerful because you need that, right? That's why you need that community or, you know, around you when you're going through grief. Okay, so I have a question for you. Um, This is a selfish question, guys. So just bear with me while I ask. (laughs) You are, because this is my only chance to do it, okay? You're a mom. You are a doctor you have written a book and you're an artist um yeah i'm not saying that i'm also all those things but like how do you balance your schedule have a happy balance peace of mind work life thing and also acknowledge your grief acknowledge your growth acknowledge like how do you woman it like you're a boss <laughs> woman one one boss woman to another like what's your what's your tip there and this is not our artist advice question that we ask at the end but yeah. this is me just wanting to know I have a few rules for myself honestly one is that I I work really hard to be attuned to my internal world I value what my body is telling me I need if it's telling me to rest if it's telling me I need to create as a means of rest and recovery I listen Mm. and that was hard one because I think as women we're taught not to have needs we're taught to serve everyone around us first that's in some ways a gift of my illness was I give myself permission to do what I need to do and another rule I have for myself is that I try to be as much as possible present in the space that I am in 
And so if I'm at work, I really am devoted to the work in front of me. I am not thinking about packing lunches or after school camp or the laundry. I am with my patients and that creates a kind of expansiveness of time. Okay. Because our time and our thought isn't fragmented. We are truly in the moment. And that has saved me in a lot of ways. Uh, It's absolved me of guilt I might feel. You know, if I'm with my child, I'm with my child. I really try to keep out distraction. Yeah. I think that that... And a smaller scale is something called monotasking that was introduced to me recently. And basically, like you said, I mean, it's so obvious, but it works so well. And I've had to do it recently because I just get all over the place and then I get flustered. But you set a timer for five minutes or 10 minutes or whatever (laughs) your length is. And then you just do that one task for those five minutes, right? Like, okay, I'm going to spend five minutes and load the dishwasher. That's all I'm doing. I'm not talking to anybody else. I'm just there. And, and something about that helps with your focus and your attention and tranquility inside. So I hear yeah. that you do that maybe on a little bit of a bigger scale. But yeah. wow. Okay. I'll, I'm taking notes. So thank you. Let's um, quickly pivot to the book that I have no idea how you had time to write this, first of all. But it is critically acclaimed bestseller amazing it's called in shock my journey from death to recovery and the redemptive power of hope um it's a riveting first-hand account from a young critical care physician rana who in the passage of a moment is transfigured into a dying patient hauntingly perceptive and beautifully written it allows the reader to transform alongside her and watch what she discovers in our carefully cultivated yet often misguided standard of care She finds herself up against the same self-protective partitions she was trained to construct as a medical student and physician, and she artfully illuminates the dysfunction of disconnection. Wow. What? I know that you lived that experience, but it's another thing to, like, write it down and recap it. How was that? And um, how was that whole writing experience for you? Yeah, you know... I was fortunate that I had time between when I got sick and when I actually sat down to write. Almost eight years had passed. So I had the gift of perspective, a little bit of distance. I had been through healing. So it wasn't this sort of blind catharsis of just spilling what happened. It was really a process of sense making you know in in a sense it was a narrative emergency that I found myself in my identity was gone I was rebuilding it how do I make sense of what happened and so I really approached it from a standpoint of I'm going to press on these memories and see what they have to say to me what can I learn from what I know and what is there still to learn from what I think I know And that was really helpful because when I started writing the book, I still had a fair amount of anger. Uh, Friends who read early drafts are like, no one's going to read this. You're too angry. You need to work through your shit. And (laughs) it was true. It was. We love friends like that. It was true. I found, though, as I got into it, that I was able to find compassion for some of the people who had hurt me and some of the trainees who maybe made poor choices and see how our culture had shaped them into those people. And 
So I started in anger and it really moved me to compassion. And that was a real surprise. I didn't, I didn't know why I was writing it, except that I had been through something that I thought had more to teach me. And I knew that if I sat down and wrote about it, I could learn more. Yeah, there was a bigger purpose. Now, I, I want, do you remember the moment where you were like, that's it, I'm going to write a book? Do you, do you remember, you, were you in your kitchen or like, like? You know, I had started to talk about my experience and a video of a talk that I gave kind of went like fake viral, not really viral, but it got into the hands of a literary agent who just messaged me and was like, I saw your talk. You really have something to say. You should write a book. And I was like, ha ha. Yeah. That's funny. No one's writing a book here. People <laughs> like I have a day job. Yeah. And then I talked to her and, and she was like, you can reach more people. And isn't that what you want for more people to learn from what you've learned? And so I was like, well, I'll try, but I'm not a writer. So, you know, no promises. Yeah. And the most important aspect I think of writing was to truly try to take the reader through my experience so they could come to their own conclusions, not to beat them over the head with what I learned, but to say, this is what happened. And to trust the reader to have enough empathy that they would then feel what I felt. Right. And I can imagine that there was frustrations with the medical side of things during um, everything. And then how ironic, like you are the medical side of things. So how did you tastefully not bash your, your people? In fairness, I think I did a little, but the thing that gave me permission to say what we were doing poorly was that everything that had hurt me, I had done myself and I knew I wasn't a bad person or a bad doctor. It was just the culture. Like it was like the water. We didn't even see it, even though we were swimming in it. And so I felt like that gave me permission because it was never an exercise in finger pointing. It was saying we are all good people trying to help, but maybe our culture makes us do things that aren't our best selves. And can we look at why that is? And and that right there really ties nicely to our motto of out of grief comes art and our mission of really encouraging people to have conversations with their loved ones about the end of life and what that looks like and stop tiptoeing around it because we feel like in our culture we don't talk about death and I mean it was three days prior to my dad passing he literally sat up in the bed with all of his strength and like I swear to you what wasn't his last words but it was like the last hundred words of his life that is when he chose to tell me like his hard line I have to be buried with my bass guitar and like all these requirements and I'm sitting there as the oldest daughter with a two toddlers on my hip and like totally overwhelmed and I'm like how like this is the final hour how am I supposed to pull this off right and that the culture leading up was that we're just not going to talk about it we'll handle it when we get there and that disorganization is so hard and I think you writing this book is so it's just so important because it speaks to the culture and, and gives people a little perspective to be like well maybe I I mean, I don't think you can plan for an illness to happen, but 
maybe I should research all my options or there might be red flags in certain practices that don't sit well with me, but in different ones work do work well, you know? So thank you for, for shining light on that and in a very vulnerable way. If people talk more about their wishes and their fears while they still can, I think there's still a real possibility of, of a death that we would wish for ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. Well, okay, this is the big question that we always ask all of our guests, which is what piece of advice would you like to offer to a, an artist, um, to somebody who's going through grief, or maybe they're not an artist yet, they don't know they're an artist, but they're going through grief, they're going through an illness, they're going through something that is very emotional. Um, what is your best piece of advice for them through that? Mm. I, I think I would tell them what I try to tell myself, which is that if you really listen to what resonates with your soul, what feels nourishing and healing, whatever that is, maybe it's being in the garden with soil and, you know, seeing life bloom from nothing. Maybe it is the process of creation with clay and something tactile. But follow what feels healing. It's different for everyone and everyone has a different entry point, but we all deserve healing. Absolutely. I love that. Yours is painting, right? Do you have any other little side ones? Little... Like sometimes I, like I like to cook. I love cooking. That's how I decompress after a hard day is just chopping and cooking. I love plants. I do have an outdoor garden that I tend to as well. Anything that feels like you're bringing life and beauty and joy into the world makes me happy. I love it. And you don't have to have one thing. No, you don't have to have one thing. I, this has been a really great conversation. And also I got some really great insight on how to level up on my boss ladyness. So I'm excited for that. Um, Elizabeth, are you still there? I think she is. She is. She gave us a thumbs I am up. still there. Um, thank you so much. And um, that was that was really amazing. I take, as, as Hallie knows, I, I take notes. Um, and I have three pages worth. Oh <laughs> it's really helpful for all of us um, and I really uh, so appreciate you you taking up number one taking the time to do talk with us today but also giving your insight and you know Hallie comes as she mentions uh, with a slightly different perspective than I currently do which is she has young children and mm-hmm. I kind of forget that that part and how those of us dealing with grief and full-time jobs and marriages and loved ones and then you layer that other piece on it um, I loved hearing about how you used your art to to actually become a better human. Quite frankly, oh that's what I the message I took yeah. from there for, for your family and for your patients. So thank you for sharing all of that with us. So, um, and hopefully we'll have you back soon. And are you writing another book or? <laughs> Not yet. It's funny. I keep a saying above my desk. It says, you did not come back from hell with empty hands. Oh, I need it. It's, it's always top of mind for me that whatever suffering we go through, we do not come back with empty hands. And it's recognizing the gifts of that that I think lead to creation. Wow. Yeah. Excellent. Wow. Well, that's a perfect way to end our episode. Thank you. 
so much for joining us. Thank you all to our listeners and viewers. We're so excited. That's another episode of Out of Grief Comes Art. And we will see you next week. Thanks so Thank much, you guys. so much. Have a great Take Wednesday. Care all. Bye.